Hi, grade fours. We are going to continue with Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets by J.K. Rowling. Um, we are on chapter 13, which is called The Very Secret Diary. Now, if you are watching one episode per school day or listening to one episode per school day, then today should be Thursday, May 7th. So if you're a little bit behind or a little bit ahead, um, it should be May 7th if you're on track. So use that to see where you're at. We are three quarters of the way done the book, which is super exciting. So let's get started on this chapter 13, The Very Secret Diary. Hermione remained in the hospital wing for several weeks. There was a flurry of rumor about her disappearance when the rest of the school arrived back from their Christmas holidays. Because, of course, everyone thought that she had been attacked. So many students filed past the hospital wing trying to catch a glimpse of her that Madame Pomfrey took out her curtains again. So Madame Pomfrey took out her curtains again and placed them around Hermione's bed to spare her the shame of being seen with a furry face. Harry and Ron went to visit her every evening. When the new term started, they brought her each day's homework. If I'd spouted whiskers, I'd take a break from work, said Ron, tipping a stack of books onto Hermione's bedside table one evening. Don't be silly, Ron. I've got to keep up, said Hermione briskly. Her spirits were greatly improved by the fact that all the hair had gone from her face, and her eyes were turning slowly back to brown. I don't suppose you've got any new leads, she added in a whisper so that Madame Pomfrey couldn't hear her. Nothing, said Harry gloomily. I was so sure it was Malfoy, said Ron, for about the hundredth time. What's that? asked Harry, pointing to something gold sticking out from under Hermione's pillow. Just a get-well card, said Hermione hastily, trying to poke it out of sight. But Ron was too quick for her. He pulled it out, flicked it open, and read aloud. To Miss Granger, wishing you a speedy recovery from your concerned teacher, Professor Gilderoy Lockhart, Order of Merlin, third class, honorary member of the Dark Force Defense League, and five times winner of Witch Weekly's Most Charming Smile Award. Ron looked up at Hermione, disgusted. You sleep with this under your pillow? But Hermione was spared answering by Madame Pomfrey sweeping over with her evening dose of medicine. Is Lockhart the smarmiest bloke you've ever met or what? Ron said to Harry as they left the dormitory and started up the stairs towards Gryffindor Tower. Snape had given them so much homework, Harry thought he was likely to be in the sixth year before he finished it. Ron was just saying he wished he had asked Hermione how many rat tails you were supposed to add to a hair-raising potion when an angry outburst from the floor above reached their ears. That's filch, Harry muttered, as they hurried up the stairs and paused, out of sight, listening hard. You don't think someone else has been attacked? said Ron tensely. They stood still, their heads inclined towards Filch's office, which sounded quite hysterical. Even more work for me, mopping all night like I haven't got enough to do. No, this is the final straw. I'm going to Dumbledore. His footsteps receded, and they heard a distant door slam. They poked their heads through the corner, or around the corner. Filch had clearly been manning his usual lookout post. They were once again on the spot where Mrs. Norris had been attacked. They saw at a glance 
what Filch had been shouting at. A great flood of water stretched over half the corridor, and it looked as though it was still seeping from under the door of Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. Now Filch had stopped shouting, they could hear Myrtle's wails echoing off the bathroom walls. Now what's up with her? said Ron. Let's go and see, said Harry, and holding their robes over their ankles, they stepped through the great wash of water to the door bearing its out-of-order sign, ignored it as always, and entered. Moaning Myrtle was crying, if possible, louder and harder than ever before. She seemed to be hiding down her usual toilet. It was dark in the bathroom, because the candles had been extinguished in the great rush of water that had left both walls and floor soaking wet. "'What's up, Myrtle?' said Harry. "'Who's that?' glugged Myrtle miserably. "'Come to throw something else at me?' Harry waded across to her cubicle and said, "'Why would I throw something at you?' "'Don't ask me!' Myrtle shouted, emerging with a wave of yet more water, which splashed onto the already sopping floor. Here I am, minding my own business, and someone thinks it's funny to throw a book at me. But it it can't hurt if someone throws something at you, said Harry reasonably. I mean, it'd just go right through you, wouldn't it? He had said the wrong thing. Myrtle puffed herself up and shrieked. Let's all throw books at Myrtle because she can't feel it. Ten points if you get it through her stomach. Fifty points if it goes through her head. Well, ha, ha, ha. What a lovely game, I don't think. Who threw it at you anyway? asked Terry. I don't know. I was just sitting in the U-bend thinking about death, and it fell right through the top of my head, said Myrtle, glaring at them. It's over there. It got washed out. Harry and Ron looked under the sink where Myrtle was pointing. A small, thin book lay there. It was shabby, it had a shabby black cover, and was as wet as everything else in the bathroom. Harry stepped forward to pick it up, but Ron suddenly flung out an arm to hold him back. What? said Harry. Are you mad? said Ron. It could be dangerous. Dangerous? said Harry, laughing. Come off it. How could it be dangerous? You'd be surprised, said Ron, who was looking apprehensively at the book. Some of the books the ministries confiscated, Dad's told me, there was one that burned your eyes out, and everyone who read sonnets of a sorcerer spoke in limericks for the rest of their lives. And some old witch in Bath had a book that you could never stop reading. You just had to wander around with your nose in it, trying to do everything one-handed, and... All right, I've got the point, said Harry. The little book lay on the floor, nondescript and soggy. Well, we won't find out unless we look at it, he said, and he ducked around Ron and picked it up off the floor. Harry saw at once that it was a diary, and the faded year on the cover told him it was 50 years old. He opened it eagerly. On the first page, he could just make out the name T.M. Riddle in smudged ink. Hang on, said Ron, who had approached cautiously and was looking over Harry's shoulder. I know that name, T.M. Riddle. Got an award for special services to the school 50 years ago. How on earth do you know that? said Harry in amazement. Because Filch made me polish his shield about 50 times in detention, said Ron resentfully. That was the one I blurped slugs all over. If you'd wipe slime off a name for an hour, you'd remember it too. Harry peeled the wet pages apart. They were completely blank. 
There wasn't the faintest trace of writing on any of them, not even Auntie Mabel's birthday or dentist half past three. He never wrote in it, said Harry, disappointed. I wonder why someone wanted to flush it away, said Ron, curiously. Harry turned to the back cover of the book and saw the printed name of a news agent's in Valhall Road, London. He must have been muggle-born, said Harry thoughtfully, to have bought a diary from Volhall Road. Well, it's not much use to you, said Ron. He dropped his voice. Fifty points if you can get it through Myrtle's nose. Harry, however, pocketed it. Hermione left the hospital wing, de-whiskered, tailless, and fur-free at the beginning of February. On her first evening back in Gryffindor Tower, Harry showed her T. M. Riddle's diary and told her the story of how they had found it. Ooh, it might have hidden powers, said Hermione enthusiastically, taking the diary and looking at it closely. If it has, it's hiding them very well, said Ron. Maybe it's shy. I don't know why you don't chuck it, Harry. I wish I knew why someone did try to chuck it, said Harry. I wouldn't mind knowing how Riddle got an award for special services to Hogwarts either. Could have been anything, said Ron. Maybe he got 30 owls or saved a teacher from a giant squid. Maybe he murdered Myrtle. That would have done everyone a favor. But Harry could tell from the arrested look on Hermione's face that she was thinking what he was thinking. What, said Ron, looking from one to the other. Well, the Chamber of Secrets was open 50 years ago, wasn't it? He said. That's what Malfoy said. Yeah, said Ron slowly. And this diary is 50 years old, said Hermione, tapping it excitedly. So? Oh, Ron, wake up, snapped Hermione. We know the person who opened the chamber last time was expelled 50 years ago. We know T.M. Riddle got an award for special services to the school 50 years ago. Well, what if Riddle got his special award for catching the heir of Slytherin? His diary would probably tell us everything, where the chamber is and how to open it and what sort of creature lives in it. The person who's behind the attacks this time wouldn't want that lying around, would they? That's a brilliant theory, Hermione, said Ron, with just one tiny little flaw. There's nothing written in this diary. But Hermione was pulling her wand out of her bag. It might be invisible ink, she whispered. She tapped the diary three times and said, Apparecium. Nothing happened. Undaunted, Hermione shoved her hand back into her bag and pulled out what appeared to be a bright red eraser. It's a revealer. I got it in Diagon Alley, she said. She rubbed it hard on January the 1st. Nothing happened. I'm telling you, there's nothing to find in there, said Ron. Real just got a diary for Christmas and couldn't be bothered filling it in. Harry couldn't explain even to himself why he didn't just throw Riddle's diary away. The fact was that even though he knew the diary was blank, he kept absentmindedly picking it up and turning the pages, as though it was a story he wanted to finish. And while Harry was sure he had never heard the name T.M. Riddle before, it still seemed to mean something to him, almost as though Riddle was a friend he'd had when he was very small and half forgotten. But this was absurd. He'd never had friends before Hogwarts. Dudley made sure of that. 
Nevertheless, Harry was determined to find out more about Riddle. So next day at break, he headed for the trophy room to examine Riddle's special award, accompanied by an interested Hermione and a thoroughly unconvinced Ron, who told them he'd seen enough of the trophy room to last him a lifetime. Riddle's varnished gold shield was tucked away in a corner cabinet. It didn't carry details of why it had been given to him. Good thing, too, or it'd be even bigger and still I'd still be polishing it, said Ron. However, they did find Riddle's name on an old medal for magical merit and on a list of old head boys. He sounds like Percy, said Ron, wrinkling his nose in disgust. Prefect, head boy, probably top of every class. You say that like it's a bad thing, said Hermione in a slightly hurt voice. The sun had now begun to shine weakly on Hogwarts again. Inside the castle, the mood had grown more hopeful. There had been no more attacks since those on Justin and nearly Headless Nick. And Madame Pomfrey was pleased to report that the Madricks were becoming moody and secretive, meaning that they were fast leaving childhood. The moment their acne clears up, they'll be ready for repotting again, Harry heard her telling Filch kindly one afternoon. And after that, it won't be long until we're cutting them up and stewing them. You'll have Mrs. Norris back in no time. Perhaps the heir of Slytherin had lost his or her nerve, thought Harry. It must be getting riskier and riskier to open the Chamber of Secrets, with the school so alert and suspicious. Perhaps the monster, whatever it was, was even now settling itself down to hibernate for another 50 years. Ernie McMillan of Hufflepuff didn't take this cheerful view. He was still convinced that Harry was the guilty one, that, he'd ha that he had given himself away at the dueling club. Peeves wasn't helping matters. He kept popping up in the crowded corridors singing, Oh, Potter, you rotter! Now with a dance routine to match. Gilderoy Lockhart seemed to think he himself had made the attack stop. Harry overheard him telling Professor McGonagall so while the Gryffindors were lining up for transfiguration. I don't think there'll be any more trouble, Minerva, he said, tapping his nose knowingly and winking. I think the chamber has been locked for good this time. The culprit must have known it was only a matter of time before I caught them. Rather sensible to stop now, before I came down hard on them. You know, what the school needs now is a morale booster. Wash away the memories of last term. I won't say any more just now, but I think I know just the thing. He tapped his nose again and strode off. Lockhart's idea of a morale booster became clear at breakfast time on February the 14th. Harry hadn't had much sleep because of a late-running Quidditch practice the night before, and he hurried down to the Great Hall slightly late. <coughs> he thought for a moment that he'd walked through the wrong doors. The walls were all covered with large, lurid pink flowers. Worse still, heart-shaped confetti was falling from the pale blue ceiling. Harry went over to the Gryffindor table where Ron was sitting, looking sickened, and Hermione seemed to have come over rather giggly. What's going on? Harry asked them, sitting down and wiping confetti off his bacon. Ron pointed to the teacher's table, apparently too disgusted to speak. Lockhart, wearing lurid pink robes to match the decorations, was waving for silence. The teachers on either side of him were looking stony-faced. From where he sat, Harry could see a muscle going in Professor McGonagall's cheek. Snape looked as though someone had just fed him a large beaker of Skelligrow.
Happy Valentine's Day, Lockhart shouted. And may I thank the 46 people who have so far sent me cards. Yes, I have taken the liberty of arranging this little surprise for you all. And it doesn't end here. Lockhart clapped his hands, and through the doors to the entrance hall marched a dozen surly-looking dwarves. Not just any dwarves, however. Lockhart had them all wearing golden wings and carrying harps. My friendly, card-carrying cupids, beamed Lockhart. They will be roving around the school today, delivering your valentines. And the fun doesn't stop here. I'm sure my colleagues will want to enter into the spirit of the occasion. Why not ask Professor Snake to show you how to whip up a love potion? And while you're at it, Professor Flitwick knows more about en entrancing enchantments than any wizard I've ever met. The sly old dog. Professor Flitwick buried his face in his hands. Snape was looking as though the first person to ask him for a love potion would be force-fed poison. Please, Hermione, tell me you weren't one of the 46, said Ron as they left the Great Hall for the first lesson. Hermione suddenly became very interested in searching her bag for her timetable and didn't answer. All day long, the dwarfs kept barging into their classes to deliver valentines to the annoyance of the teachers. And late that afternoon, as the Gryffindors were walking upstairs for charms, one of them caught up with Harry. Oi, you, Harry Potter, shouted a particularly grim-looking dwarf, elbowing people out of the way to get to Harry. Hot all over at the thought of being given a valentine in front of a queue of first years, which happened to include Ginny Weasley, Harry tried to escape. The dwarf, however, cut his way through the crowd by kicking people's shins and reached him before he'd gone two paces. I've got a musical message delivered to Harry Potter in person, he said, twanging his harp in a threatening sort of way. Not here, Harry hissed, trying to escape. Stay still, grunted the dwarf, grabbing hold of Harry's bag and pulling him back. Let me go, Harry snarled, tugging. With a loud, a loud ripping noise, his bag split in two. His books, wand, parchment, and quill spilled onto the floor, and his ink bottle smashed over the lot. Harry scrambled around, trying to pick it all up before the dwarf started singing, causing something of a holdup in the corridor. What's going on here? came the cold, drawling voice of Draco Malfoy. Harry started stuffing everything feverishly into his ripped bag, desperate to get away before Malfoy could hear his musical valentine. What's all this commotion? said another familiar voice as Percy Weasley arrived. Losing his head, Harry tried to make a run for it, but the dwarf seized him around the knees and brought him crashing to the floor. Right, he said, sitting on Harry's ankles. Here is your singing valentine. His eyes are as green as a fresh pickled toad. His hair is as dark as a blackboard. I wish he was mine. He's really divine. The hero who conquered the Dark Lord. Harry would have given all the gold and Gringotts to evaporate on the spot. Trying valiantly to laugh along with everyone else, he got up, his feet numb from the weight of the dwarf. As Percy Weasley did his best to disperse the crowd, some of who were crying with mirth. Off you go, off you go, the bell rang five minutes ago. Off to class now, he said, shooing some of the younger students away. And you, Malfoy. Harry glanced over, saw Malfoy stoop and snatch up something. Leering, he showed it to Crabbe and Goyle, and Harry realized that he'd got Riddle's diary. 
And that's where I'm going to stop for today. That's halfway through chapter 13. We will continue with chapter 13 and finish it off tomorrow. Uh, now, I haven't had that many people um, successful or successfully guess the Wordle words lately. I've had maybe about eight each week. So if you are listening to the read-alouds, here's a little hint for you. It is week six, so May 4th to May 8th. Today should be May 7th. Um, and this week's Wordle word is the word laugh. So if you send me a message with the word laugh, I will add you to the draw. Bye, everybody.